With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom. Simply visit www.realitycheck.radio forward slash donate to make a difference today. Welcome back, listeners, to RCR Greenwashed with Don and Jasper Eat. And as is common in this show, we have focused a lot on climate change because we think that is the ultimate greenwashing um, uh, of the world at the moment. I mean, there's plenty of others, but the big ticket item, climate change. And not only are we talking about CO2 and methane, we're talking about coastal management and the use of uh, information uh, or the presentation of information from our councils is coming to the fore louder and clearer and none more uh, so in my own council this week, Jaspreet, yours truly Jaspreet, Bopurai <laughs> councillor, had to front up uh, with to her council on coastal management in Southland. And <clears throat> it's not uncommon. Around the country, there are other councils grappling with the same thing, some for many, many years. And one of them is the Capiti Coast District Council. And it's our pleasure to have on today our uh, Salima Padamsi, who's the chair of the uh, Coastal Ratepayers United uh, in that area. And we're going to try and break out what the process has been today to date and what we think has to happen in the years, months and years ahead, because this stuff is not going away. And to set the scene, um, I'm going to suggest that it looks pretty much to me as a layman that the councils and their advisors around this country are using very much outdated information directed from the, they're arguing, the IPCC, the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, when in fact, uh, and they're using the most unlikely scenarios of 8.5, representation concentration pathways 8.5, very much an unlikely scenario suggested by the IPCC, but our councils are still using it. But anyway, Welcome, um, Salima. Yeah, you've been at the coalface of, of this for a long, long time. You have a lot of history here. Would you like to start at the beginning and sort of um, give us a potted view of how it's played out? Yes, I'd, I'd love to. So Crew started in 2012 as a direct result of lines, hazard lines being placed on our limbs. And um, with that came building restrictions and, and building codes and all kinds of things that went with them. But we didn't know they were coming. We found out that they were there because we read about it in the newspaper. We wow. were not informed. Nobody told us. And it was the Dom Post in 2012 that it was front page news. And so a group of us got together and we formed Coastal Rate Payers United. And we're an incorporated, incorporated society. And uh, so we we challenged the science, and it's similar. Uh, there was not a sufficient peer review. The data was double counting. It didn't take into consideration accretion. So all all these things, and um, we so we challenged the the science, and we we were successful in having the council convene an independent science panel, just for the science. And people were allowed to come and speak to it, make a public submission. Um, and then our scientists and their scientists and the international scientists, they all got together and they did a hot tubbing. And the result of it was they found that the science that Capity Council was using 
was not fit for the purposes of planning. And this was Selima 2014? Yeah, so probably by the time they had the science panel would have been maybe 2014, 2013, mm -hmm. around that mm -hmm. time. And so that they found that the science was not fit for the purposes of planning. So, um, and there was also a high court case. It was the Mike Weir versus KCDC, the Capitol Coast District Council. And Crew joined as an intervener on, on that case. Um, but the judge came with an interim judgment and, you know, paraphrasing. He said, I think you guys need to go and sort this out before I make a final judgment. And his final judgment was, well, and we did go sort it out. And the lines did come off the limbs. And all these caveats were put on council website that this uh, report has been deemed not fit for the purposes of planning. So they had to do all of that. But what was really shocking to me was the cost of it. You know, the, the cost of putting an independent science panel together, uh, the cost of going to court using our own rates against oh. us to go to court. So all those expensive, expensive things, if they had just worked with us from the beginning or listened to our concerns, but what had happened was they just they just dug their heels in. And once they dig their heels in, there's not nothing anyone anyone can do. It, it's it's shocking. I've never seen anything like it. Right. Now, listeners, before we go further, I'd uh, really like to put, put out their website, crew, th that is cru.org.nz. And I like the way your website is, uh, you know, sort of created here. It talks about good science, good planning, good law. And the very first tagline, it says that crew, the Coastal Ratepayers United Inc. is a broad-based community group that's been effectively representing ratepayers and getting hazard lines removed. You also say that the fight continues as the regional council and the government via Department of Conservation, Ministry for Environment, and NEVA are making policy decisions that will affect everyone. Your site is a treasure trove of the amount of data and reports. And I I mean, I probably have learned a lot more from this than I have from the uh, nearly 200 pages of uh, my council document that I was given to read uh, this week, just gone, our last council meeting and dealing with the same thing. It seems so odd to me, Salima. We are a tiny country and I, you know, I come from comparisons to larger countries in Asia, India and others. You guys have fought the same thing and have fought it for a decade, and yet here we are in Southland now, beginning the same fight, the same, I mean, I, I wonder if you can bring a bit more of how this has impacted your community to the fore, because I worry that our community, and I include Don here, we are both Southlanders, is going to feel the impacts of this uh, sooner rather than later. What has been the craziest part of this whole thing? So I just I just want to go back a, a little bit. And mm. you know, so good science, good planning, good law. That's the crew mantra. Mm. I mean, that that's it. That's what we focus on. Good planning, good science, good law. And that brings us then to the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement. Mm. And I think that's it becomes very, very difficult for people to follow follow that coastal policy statement. You know, we're getting all these reports. Um, but they're not in line with the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement. And I think that they're not in line because people don't know how to do it or they choose not to do it. So that, that becomes a, a problem. And so for us, the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement is the overarching statutory requirement of this country. 
And, you know, if you look at policy 24, it talks about, you know, using the best science available. And for some reason, all these consultancies that are doing it are not using the best science available. They are not looking um, at, you know, for example, you know, RCP 8.5. I mean, the IPCC has come out and said in the in their AR6 report that it's implausible. Mm. So why would you want to use it? I mean, you're a consultant, you're, you're coming here, you're, you're affecting people's homes, people's lives, people's insurance, people's mortgages. Why would you not want to use the best science available to be the honest broker, to give them a fair deal? Why would you want to use science? That is implausible. Why? I, I Till today, I don't understand it. Because by using that extreme level of science, you're going to get an extreme result. And yep. The cynic and me, uh, Salima, says uh, exactly that you're going to get an ex- extreme result, but also um, that it's almost the dictate from this, the, the peak body in New Zealand, the parliament. The, the, the department seem to want to have this spread around, regardless of the policy statement you talk about and asking for the best science. It seems to be a, an edict from up on high that everything has to be embellished to make the worst case scenario for New Zealanders. Everything's about the precautionary, the ultimate precautionary principle, everything. Um, and of course, we as a farmer, we have been fighting the methane issue uh, for years, um, let alone the CO2 issue, well, non-issues, I should say. Um, and you're fighting a similar thing on, on a coastal strip. I mean, it it just, the edicts are coming from um, sort of uh, up on higher places, supposedly, and these consultants are milking it. I mean, surely they're only milking it because they can. Well, I, I think that in our case, um, you know, when I when we spring up science to our, you know, senior council staff, you know, the response is, we're not scientists, we're planners, you know, and, and that that's kind of, yeah, that's true. They are planners, they're not scientists, mm-hmm. but we have a track record. And if we see a concern, they should be addressing it. But for for me, I don't really understand the point of doing something that's going to hurt your community so badly. And, and because of that, and because we've been really fighting the science, we've decided to um, contract Waikato University Earth Science Department to do a science report that is based in the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement, because I think either they don't want to do it or they don't know how to do it. And it's about time we put our money where our mouth is and said, here we go. This is how it should look like. This is what it should look like. Right. Now, Salima, when this happened, I see old newspaper reports talking of the fact that about $200 million in equity was wiped off the properties. But, uh, and that 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 is, of course, you know, the moment you start putting something on limb reports, it is there. But what was your main problem with the report? How you've been there now for nearly a dozen years at that point. How much has the sea come in? What has been the impact? Nothing, nothing. Um, You know, uh, I, uh, every six months, I go outside my house and I measure the dunes and Mm. it has never gone less than 50 meters. It's probably even more now. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. So, and and so that's quite a, so we we live in Kapiti, it's called the Cuspate Coast which mm-hmm. means that our beach accretes a lot more than it erodes. 
Right. So it may have, you may have storms and it may cut back dunes every now and then you might get a severe cutback, but over the long run, it will go further than it will ever come back. Right. So there is very little uh, erosion, but we, like the rest of my team and my members were waiting for the Waikato University report to use actual science, real data, proper modeling, and come back and tell us what we can do or what needs to be mitigated. But we and need to show that because right now council have an adaptation map, mm-hmm. which goes two kilometers inland from the beach. So on a rough guess, estimate conservative, I'd say 8,000 homes and businesses. Wow. And so just going going on that a little bit more, um, in the past, it sounds like, um, modelers using less than good data have created these um, these models, and um, they seem fallacious. So, why would they? You know, going back to this, why would they do this? Why would they continually put the pressure on people um, in an area such as Capity? And who are the people behind encouraging this? I mean, you've you've got another group, a panel that's been established. They don't seem they seem to be more obstructive than create um, than useful to your area. So the the panel it's the coastal advisory panel. Mm. They're looking at adaptation, and adaptation is a non statutory requirement. So you don't have to do it. You're not legally obliged by by the by by the government to do it. But you are legally obliged to look at coastal hazard risks, and that yeah. falls under the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement, and that's a statutory requirement. So, I, I, so I, we have nothing to do with adaptation. We are very um, focused. We almost have tunnel vision when it comes to our mandate, and that is the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement Coastal Hazard Risk Assessment. I mean, that's that's our hymn. You know, so adaptation is is something new that this council is doing. They're not mandated to do it. It's not a statutory requirement to do it. And so by identifying all these homes and, and of course, the people that have been affected don't know they're affected because it's not on their limbs or they haven't been notified. And so that causes a whole other area of concern because, like me, they read it in the newspaper Mm. that, you know, their homes are being affected, that this draft report for the adaptation is coming out and and they're using all the science and the million dollar question don is why would you do it why would you use this extreme science why would you do that people's homes that's their biggest asset i mean people work two three jobs to pay their mortgage even to get a mortgage get a bank loan it's 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 their only one big thing that they own it's their biggest asset so why would you want to take that or hurt them in that area where their assets, where their children are, where their dogs are, where their family comes to visit. Why Why would you want to do bad things to those people? Why not work with them to be an honest broker? And because they keep using this extreme science, there is no level of honest broker. And it's causing a huge disconnect between the council, between the advisory panel and the community. Yeah, look, and, and I've noted this uh, with significant natural areas on land uh, around farms. Um, and now we've got uh, the other thing. I've just forgotten the name of the next level of the significant natural Sazum. areas. Sazums. Sazums, yes, Sazums. It's all the same stuff. It just 
takes people's um, uh, freedom and what they thought was freehold title and starts messing with it. And it, it, it's unamusing, it's very uh, costly, and it's creating major anxiety for anyone that faces it. And um, yeah, you're right, Salima, I can't understand why um, risk assessments for a start, they should be done by a property owner on their own. Or why? Why would you need? If there's a risk to be faced, surely the freehold title owner should be the first to be worried about it. Um, but clearly, this isn't uh, the requirement. And you've just taught me something. I didn't realize that adaptation plans were not part of the whole concept. So that begs, uh, yeah, brings another thing to my my head. Uh, why are we going past to the point of? adaptation plans now when we haven't even got the risk assessment right if, if even if you did as a community need to do a risk assessment we've got that bad so it just it sort of doubles down on bad doesn't it yeah so there is a national adaptation plan so yes, there yes. is one that exists but it's not a statutory requirement it's right. not a policy statement like the new zealand coastal policy statement is. okay and, you know, this is what I was uh, recently told in council that we now, now that we have the science this last week, we now need to socialize it. I don't even know what that <laughs> means. Socialize it, bring it to the people. <laughs> but again, my worry is the sort of harm this will cause the ratepayers based on science, which is improbable, unlikely. So not, uh, you know, meeting the norms that are required by the coastal policy statement, uh, policy number 24, that based on the best science. But we are going to destroy peoples today for an improbable unknown tomorrow, 100 years from now. How right is that? Uh, I, for one, can never sign off on something like this, you know, regardless of the repercussions or regardless of what comes there. But I am, could you tell us more about Saliba? Who provided that science to your council? So this time around, it was Jacobs Consulting. So they, who are they? Well, I don't, I don't know a lot about them, except that they're based in Christchurch. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've done work, according to this council, at other councils, and they've provided a report. So when the Coastal Adaptation Panel was in its early stages, there was a working group. And crew was a part of that working group. And that working group put a terms of reference together for Jacobs, or it wasn't Jacobs then, but we put a work terms of reference for a consultancy company. And it was looking at a coastal hazard risk assessment in line with the New Zealand coastal policy statement. So that was what the, the working group had agreed. That was what had been tendered by the council and consultancy companies applied for it, Jacobs applied for it, and a contract was issued for Deliverable One, which is a New Zealand, uh, which is a coastal hazard risk assessment. And it was going to be done in two volumes. So one was methodology, and then one was the application, the results. So when the first volume came out, I think in 2021, it was a coastal hazard vulnerability and susceptibility report assessment, sorry. And when we asked the council, well, what changed? Because suddenly it's not in line with the New Zealand coastal policy statement and it's veered into a different direction. And um, no one at council can tell us how that happened. So we went through a, a formal process with the office of the ombudsman and it took about 18 months 
And everybody agreed that council did not hold the documents about why it changed into mm-hmm. a vulnerability and susceptibility assessment. And yet they got paid a quarter of a million dollars for their report. Wow. But now for us, the problem is, is we are we have no more skin in that game because we are only with the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement and a Coastal Hazard Risk Assessment. So that hasn't been delivered. So we don't have a lot to do with adaptation. It's not in our mandate. and But we are keeping a watching brief on it. Of course we would. And it's, again, it's the science. And we've critiqued the science, by the way. We have peer-reviewed the science. And we have mm-hmm. given counsel a copy of our review. We have given Jacobs a copy of our review. Um, and I think it made very little minimalistic changes. So they mm-hmm. didn't take anything that we said on board. But again, adaptation is not cruise business. Our business is the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement, Coastal Hazard Risk Assessment. So, and that's why we are now doing our own report because council won't deliver it. But I have to be honest and, and just give a big shout out that the data sets that we got that we gave to the Waikato University, council did give them to us. So mm-hmm. council did give us the data sets. And without those data sets, we wouldn't have been able to do our reporting with the Waikato University. So they they are helpful in, in that way. Mm-hmm. Because now adaptation and coastal hazards are two, two different beasts. They're not the same. Right. Now, I, I was not aware of this consultancy, uh, Salim, until you mentioned it. So I looked them up. <clears throat> they seem to be an American outfit. And their website says, with approximately 15 billion, yep, that's a B, 15 billion in annual revenue and a talent force of approximately 60,000, Jacobs provides a full spectrum of professional services, including consulting, technical, scientific, and project delivery for the government and private sector worldwide. They've got six odd jobs listed in Wellington, similar number in Christchurch, but they are, again, Don, you know, we've spoken about these global consultancies in the past, things like WSP. Oricon based out of, I mean, pretty much based everywhere in the world now. And this worries me because that's one arbiter of, you know, deciding that this is the science. And I think when we do this, like you were talking, Salima, you know, you went to Macy University, you've spoke, to, you have a few professors on your panel, some of whom William Delonghi and others we've spoken to. That's the experts we should be using, local Kiwis, who have a sense of, you know, the coast and who've been here a while and who we can, who are easily accessible, not these conglomerates that, you know, mushroom up everywhere, Don? Well, uh, look, my radar went up as well. And of course, I found out uh, that um, Jacobs and WSP are also involved with the Cook Strait Ferry, um, sort of, <laughs> you might call that a fiasco at the moment. So look, they, they, you, Jasper, you, you're always very good at researching um, the wiring diagrams and, you know, the tentacles, as we call them, are wide. But going back to, and, and I don't think we can focus on that today because it's no. um, it's just a deflection in many ways, but it's, it's good to put the radar up and say we need to be careful of where all these uh, ideas and ideology, in fact, is coming from. I think it's ideology more than um, ideas. Science. Uh, and science. Uh, and I, but my radar also went up. Um, Salima, when you said your council paid quarter of a million dollars for something that isn't that obvious, 
uh, you know, there's no real trace of of how that money was spent. Is that is that how I picked that up? Well, a report was produced, and nobody knows how it was produced. There's no emails. There's no documentation. Not n- nothing. I mean, we have been asking. So initially, we just asked, uh, "What was what instruction was uh, Jacobs given to move into the vulnerability and susceptibility assessment?" Because we were awaiting a coastal hazard risk assessment. So the minute that that report came out, crew was no longer a part of it. How could we be? We we don't do adaptation. We mm. were looking for a coastal hazard risk assessment. But regardless of that. There is no documentation. Council cannot tell you, cannot tell us how that report came to be, but they were still paid $250,000 for it. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's hard to fathom. What I do know is uh, having a long history and all this stuff is that if councils don't get what they want round one, they do buy time and have round two, perhaps 10, 12 years later, and they will keep doing it until the machinery of local government and central government gets its way. And of course, that aids right into or adds right into the the pocketbook of the consultants. So I'm a cynic on all this stuff. And so it's not unique, but that's what's happened in New Zealand around, for instance, um, in farming sense, Jasper, methane. We've talked about this for years. This is now 700 odd million gone into uh, well, 200 million directly, but a lot more into <clears throat> buildings, let alone consultants. Um, they just keep coming back round the back of the bike shed and having another go. Circle <laughs> the wagons and have another go coming in. It's like cowboys and Indians. It's just, mean, it's not just, just not just farmers now. Even down that latest report that yeah. came this weekend, just gone where they spoke about how we, when we breathe out, we don't just breathe out carbon dioxide. There is 0.1 percent of uh, methane emissions can be put down to human beings breathing. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. So you you know exactly where this is coming. They will not back off at any chance. So I'm no, just that, that's true. That, mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I'm just surprised that 10 years later that crew still exists because we really shouldn't be existing. You know, we need a remedy. We need those. No, we're not arguing coastal hazard lines. We're we're not arguing that. We're just saying let's get it right. Let's get it right and work together to see how many houses, homes, areas are affected. And if it's mitigatable, can we mitigate it? Can we work together? Can I don't know because when the first report came out, it was 1,800 homes, and that's along the whole coast, and that was based on science that was not fit for the purposes of planning. Ten years later, we're back again, and, you know, no, I don't think when we started CREW that we ever fathomed that we would be here ten years later fighting the same fight, exactly the same. It, it's just, for me, it's extraordinary. So, so even just going back to what uh, that and what I've just previously said about how they re- recycle, you know, you had uh, local body elections last year. Did the the regime change at Cavity Coast? Was there a lot of councillors, uh, new councillors in, in in situ now? Uh, and and or secondly, has the management at Capital Council changed that much? Has the senior management changed in that twelve years? So we have we did have local body elections, and so we had a whole influx of new councillors. A lot of them resigned, and uh, we've got new ones, which I think is good. And we now have a new CEO, 
and a new person who is in, you know, overarching in charge of the coastal adaptation and coastal hazards. And it's been down to them that they have been so open about it. And I think they understand our frustration, the CEO and, and the next one in charge, that we were able to get um, the data sets, that they understand that we've been around for 10 years, that they're taking what we're saying seriously, because before it took me two years to get one meeting at council two years to get one meeting and it was a box ticking exercise for them. Yep. We've met with crew done. So we were never really heard mm. and the counselors. Um, I don't, I don't think, cause there's a few new ones and I don't really think that they understand really what's going on. I mean, you know, I've received a letter from the mayor about a month or so ago and said, you know, you should really be working through the cap process. But, you know, since December 2020, I've been telling them that CAP is different from what needs to be done. And for some reason, that's falling on deaf ears of our counselors. And they either don't understand it, don't want to understand it. It's in the too hard basket, you know, and if they, yeah, and and they just, they just, there is no political will to really understand what is going on. Yeah, even I think and, uh, with, with Jim Bolger and some of the, the stuff that's been going on in the adaptation issue, I mean, I don't know if it's falling on deaf ears. I mean, we don't have anything to do with it, but I mean, it's hard to ignore in Capity. Yeah, that was my next question, Salema. Who is leading Cap? And you've just said it's um, Sir Jim Bolger. Um, oh, it's not Sir. It's not nice. Not sir. Oh, gosh, I thought he was. How, how dare I say that? <laughs> I'm getting confused with Dane Jacinda. Um Anyway, uh, yeah, funny how people get these citations and confuse us all. Sorry, and that includes me. But it's interesting. Uh, You've had some interesting interactions with CAP and some accusations have been leveled that are well publicized. You've you've written about them. Um, Do you want to just give us a wee bit of an overview of how how um, how non-constructive or unconstructive they are? Well, we've really had nothing really to do with CAP. We did invite when Mr. Bolger was appointed as chair um, in 2021, we did have him come and speak to our AGM. You know, we thought we needed to hear it. We needed to see what was going on. And and he, he came and it was really good. And he came with Martin Manning and some other person from the panel. Um, but it, it didn't, it, it, it went quite, it, he was quite dismissive and, you know, just to paraphrase, you know, the message was, thank God I didn't build at the beach and you guys were stupid that you did. So that's just a paraphrase of from, the message. From, from CAP, Boulder. which is, which for listeners, if you missed that, CAP is the Capity Adaptation Panel. Coastal Adaptation Panel. Coastal yeah. Adaptation Plan, yeah. yeah. For Capity, yeah. So that was kind of what 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 happened. And um, and subsequently, um, I did get a phone call from Jim Bolger, who called crew a bunch of bullshitters climate change deniers and he said that we would never have any uh and and any participation in the coastal adaptation process so mr bolger effectively shut the door on crew and that's where we've left it well yeah hence my my comment about being uh non-constructive dialogue i mean Interesting. That strikes me as downright bullying, um, and and I'm not sure that it should be tolerated uh, much longer. I hope your community stands stands up and defends your status um, 
uh, Salima and your own crew status because it's unacceptable to have that sort of bullying level, uh, in my opinion. It, it, it's not unique, by the way. It's not unique. I know how these people work. And if they want to get their own way, they do marshal their, their sycophants behind them and they do it by um, uh, having others uh, do the bullying it's just it's just the way we are in this country it's supposed to be a democratic process and so um you know let's hope let's hope democracy and as you say honest brokers stand up because without casting aspersions against um a, a person's character you can't have that sort of nonsense when you're dealing with the property of individuals uh the way they are you are there and you can't have one man saying he knows better than everybody else, even in the face of current science. He knows more. He knows better. He knows best. Can't have that. So, yeah, what's your next plans? I mean, yeah, we've got a lot of, uh, I think this is going to um, morph in 2024. This is going to seriously yeah, this issue is, develop is in other councils away. around the country. Um, so what is Crew's next plan? You're getting this report done by the Waikato University. Yes. Um, at great cost to you and yes, your so volunteers. We've raised the funds. We've had to raise the funds through our mm. membership to to fund for that. And for me, I think that's well, it's a little bit sad and disappointing that a statutory required report that council have to do is now being funded for by ratepayers in a ratepayers group. But I think for us, we're now waiting to to see what the findings of that report will be. And I'm hoping that it, you know that we will be able to then take that uh, report higher to central government. So there's two parts of the report. There's the science and, and the risk assessment and probability. And then there's the risk assessment in terms of um, what, what we have to do. And we're working on the terms of reference for the second part. And we're waiting for the first part from, from the university. And we're hoping that by producing a report that is in line with the New Zealand Coastal Policy Statement, that we can then lobby central government and say, look, this is what it should look like. There is no 8.5. There is no implausible science. We're using the same data sets that the council have given Jacobs. I mean, there is just, so for us, we're hoping that this report will be not only a game changer at central government, but for coastal communities in terms of how to really do it properly. We will be the honest broker because we can't find one. Yeah, and look, that's honourable and fantastic. Uh, I just give you a word of warning. Uh, having been involved in something similar in the in the local area around water quality, where our, my former organisation, Federated Farmers, locally spent forty thousand dollars on a water quality and trend state and trend report for Southland, shared it with the regulator, and it was conveniently buried. They used facilitators to actually collaborate, and of course, the facilitator was more. He trained as a nudge unit um, advisor and Federated Farmers South and Lost spent $40,000 and the report was buried. So be very wary. And the other thing that I think uh, is admirable in your state at the moment, you, you, you've, you've funded this report. I hope that you never, ever have to go back into court and dignify lawyers, especially the highly what well, any lawyers, actually. I hope you never have to because, man, you can burn some cash. Uh, and you shouldn't have to, because as you say, it's your own money fighting your own your own counsel. Money. 
Yeah, and our rates are used against us. Our rates are used against us to go to go to court, and I think that's not a good look for for any council. But I take your your warning with full full listening capacity to to make sure that we are very careful in terms of how we're lobbying it, not to let it get buried. And if there's anything, if from the material that you have about crew, we're loud and we're very loud. And so when we think that we've got something that really needs to be lobbied and focused on, we, I think we have the expertise in-house to be hopefully able to do it. Anyways, that's what I am hoping for, that we will be able to, to do that. Yeah, look, I, I've seen a list list of some of your people. Sorry, Jasper. I've seen a list of some of your people and they are honourable people. They are. And that's what we need. Um, it, it is always amused me how even in Federated Farmers, going back to the organisation that I once chaired, um, how we consistently dignify bad process with our own money. I and mean, it's just, it, it's a really strange phenomenon, but it's the way we seem to do it. So um, it's... It's um, it's a unique situation. Um, we've just had COP28 finish in uh, Dubai. Yeah. It strikes me that there's a bit of a hiatus uh, opportunity. Well, there's an opportunity for for the world to say, oops, uh, we, oops we're not going to go any further. There's people trying to put food on the table. There's people trying to manage their daily uh, life. And governments of the world have over been in overreach mode for years. So bring it right back to New Zealand. The overreach has been clear to me for years. And now we have every council that I can read about in New Zealand is talking double digit rate increases next year. Yeah. Their planning is underway right now. It is unacceptable in my belief that any council should have a rate increase next year. They should all be made to uh, tie down their expenditure and manage what they do. The most important things done first and the superfluous stuff just gets flipped off the table. That doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, Jasper, I'm putting it on you now and um, maybe your no. observations. Um, Salima, is that happening you see any want to reduce rates in this country and climate, hold, the, hold the line? Climate change is the biggest revenue garner for for everyone, be it you know, be it non-governmental operators or your NGOs or local government, central government. And there just seems to be an excuse that we need to be seen to be doing something. But what I am trying to bring to the fore is what we need to be seen to be doing can't be you can't have a medicine that's worse than the ailment itself based on some very, very dodgy science. And I think, as uh, Salima said, one of the problems is someone who's in council is a planner. They're not a scientist and they wash their hands off. Councillors are depending on papers presented to them by those planners. I mean, how many people? I Last week, I had an 800-plus page agenda out of 200 pages of that was just this particular report. How many within the council? And I mean, anyone in council, staffers, councillors, elected, non-elected members, how many have gone through that? Because I think every time you put your pen to the you know, dotted line, sign up something or vote in favor of something, you should be jolly well sure that you know what you are doing. Because me, as a representative of the people, elected representative, that's my job. There's, I, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I make sure that if I'm signing something or if I'm agreeing to something, 
I have read it backwards, forwards, everywhere possible. Here's hoping we can get a bit of the same diligence in others who are in these positions of authority, making decisions that impact TVs. Mm. Well, I think for, I, I can't speak for other councils, but I can speak for this one, is that you get these reports and then you get recommendations, the staff recommendations. Mm. And then that's normally the easy way out. That's what the staff recommends if they know what they're talking about. And um, a few years ago, because I'm Canadian, a few years ago, I was back in Canada and I went to see the mayor of my own city. Mm. And I asked her, you know, because I we were having crew was already formed. We were having these problems with the council. And she said, in Canada, staff cannot give recommendations to elected officials because they are not elected. Elected officials have to come up with their own recommendations by talking to their own constituents. Yeah. So wow. it's a very different form of, of an understanding because we and, and to be quite honest, I mean, if you work in a big organization and you get recommendations from your staff, you would trust them. Why? Why wouldn't you trust them? But the problem is, if you don't understand it yourself, yeah. then it's, really, it's the consultancy group that's leading the charge. They're telling you and then that's being passed on and then that's being passed on. And then we're feeling the end effects of it here in, in our homes and in our communities. And, and, and of course, and that just increases rates. I know that uh, I, I read recently in an official information request that the Coastal Advisory Panel here in Capiti have uh, spent $3 million. Yep. Wow. That, That's a lot that of could have been spent on something. Stormwater yeah. drains, it could be any, anything. But that's a lot yeah. of money on a science that is, by IPCC's own, own wording, implausible. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's 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 par for the course around every council. The waste, in my opinion, I've observed this for thirty five years. The waste just gets worse. That job, the expansion of local government away from their core business has just been. Well, I call it obscene, but other you know clearly the voters vote for it. So um, I'm and ratepayers vote for it. So I can't argue. I'm just one man. But um, interestingly, a couple of things before we wind up. Because this will carry on, Salima. This is this is the first of hopefully many interviews we have <laughs> on this issue around the country. But I observed um, uh, Jaspreet's council last week. The the hour or so this was talked about, mm. there was only one person around that table that had any uh, knowledge on this, and it's Jaspreet. The rest of her council were so close to mute; it was cringeworthy. Um, but. So, so Jasper, good job. Uh, I have to say because you're going to have to, you're going to have to run the cutter on this on your own for a bit longer, and you'll get. I think you will get the um, majority of your councillors across the line. But you can't have councillors saying, "Oh, look, I've got to do this for my children, my grandchildren. They just won't thank me if I don't stand tall on this now." Against you know the, the dignifying the lie, basically. So, look, Salima. We've taken uh, about half an hour, a bit more of your time, and we do want to have you back. But I think the key points from you today were you're all about and crew, uh, good science, good planning, good law. And to me, that's all about upholding the institutions that I hold dear, which are the property right. Uh, and and to me, maintaining the property right, a uh, property, maintaining your authority over property as an individual, is a fundamental tenet of Western society. And uh, 
at the moment we're having them trampled over all the time property rights so look uh thank you for your input today and we know we'll get a lot of feedback on this um we know you've got good people in your team uh that will also give us feedback and uh, we've we've got plenty of other contacts around the country so keep in touch and um we'll see how this progresses but all the best uh well, i wanted weeks to thank ahead. you yeah thank you and thank you for having me uh on on your show um yeah it's I, it's very rarely that i would give an interview but i thought it was it was important given given the dialogue that's going around on coastal communities and coastal issues so but i i do really want to thank you for having me today Thank you so much for coming on, Salima. We are very grateful. You've got a house full. We hope you get some time off from your crusade over this time and have a great Christmas and New Year. I'm looking forward to it. And a happy Christmas and a good New Year to both of you and your families. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thank you for tuning in to RCR Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, just like what you're listening to. Either way, we want to hear from you. Get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057, or email us at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so connect with us today.